Welcome to the Equipping You podcast, where our mission is to equip Alliance pastors and leaders to live spiritually healthy lives and lead healthy churches. Equipping You is a ministry of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org. Hey, 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 welcome back to Equipping You Podcast. This is season seven, the perfect season, episode two. We're coming to you today from uh, Columbus, Ohio, sort of. Alan is actually in Middletown, Pennsylvania. (laughs) Yes, I I am. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Columbus, Ohio is the home of Nationwide, which gives me an opportunity to sing. Nationwide is on your side. That's so funny, Terry, because when I grew up in my, when I remember being really little, in my little hometown of Coventry, Rhode Island, somebody's claim was unsatisfied by Nationwide. And I'm sorry to speak ill of this because it's a good company, it really is. But somebody, there's always somebody unhappy. And there was a billboard in my town for well over a year that said, if Nationwide is on my side, why is my claim still unsolved? I'm like, holy cow, they took out a whole billboard. They were so upset. Wow. Maybe, wow. Maybe well, I have <laughs> rescued their reputation, and I'm sure yeah. an advertising contract will be extended to me really, sure. really soon. And to be clear, we're not disparaging them. That Every company has somebody that's unhappy with them, and just so happens this person Put a billboard up about it. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Well, never. Now I've never been that unhappy about anything. Me neither. <laughs> Me neither. So, I'm still Terry, and I'm still the church ministries leader for the Alliance. And I'm still Alan as a director of development in Middletown, Pennsylvania. <laughs> You're making fun of me. I'm going to put a billboard up about you. <laughs> I welcome it. I welcome it. And uh, Isaac is here as well. Uh, Isaac Charles, our administrative specialist in uh, church ministries. And uh, Alan, today our guest is uh, Brad House, mm-hmm. who's currently the senior executive pastor for something. I forgot the last parts of it, <laughs> but he's a senior executive pastor at Woodside Bible Church in the yep. Detroit area. Sounds like yep. they have a multi campus situation. Yeah, quite and a you've few. been aware of his ministry for some time. Why? Why? Because, in my opinion, he's written one of the best group, best books on small groups, or as he calls them in the book, community groups. Um, it's very clear. It has strong convictions. Um, <clears throat> it's not trendy at all. It uh, it's very biblical. Um, it speaks to the heart, not just technique. There's so much about it, and uh, we felt so strongly about it that uh, my co-worker and friend David Dixon invited him to do a breakout session at our recent district conference. And he did a fantastic job. Uh, people went away in deep thought and trying to think, I got to work these kind of convictions through in my own church. So yeah, I think highly of him and the book, highly recommend it. And he has a minist- uh, ministry engine website. Yeah, uh, We'll get that website address up for you in the uh, show notes. But uh, get your pad and pencil out because uh, you're going to get some uh, practical nuggets of helpfulness for your small groups today. And I don't even grab a pencil, but grab yourself a Diet Mountain Dew. You're hearing this in mid-February, and I'm, I'm assuming it's still early enough in the year 
for you to be on your low carb diet. So grab yourself a diet Mountain Dew. Mm. Sit back, relax. Here we go. And we're pleased to welcome to Equipping You Podcast, our new friend, Brad House. Brad, welcome. Uh, Great to be here, Terry. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. We like to start by uh, allowing our listeners to get to know those we're interviewing a bit. So uh, if you wouldn't mind giving us a snapshot of how you came to know Christ and kind of a little bit of your calling and journey and ministry. Sure. Yeah. I I grew up in the church, but probably not a a believer. I I grew up going to church as probably an obligation. And uh, I didn't really encounter Christ until college. Um, I was studying to be an engineer. There were some questions I had that uh, math and science could not answer for me. And uh, God got a hold of me uh, through uh, great ministry, Bible study, and uh, I gave my life to Christ. And so um, after that, uh, my expectation was I was going to be an engineer, and uh, but I felt this call to something something else, a call to ministry, which I didn't really understand because I didn't I didn't really grow up um, thinking about ministry as a possibility, uh, and so I set off seeking that, trying to figure out what that was all about. Hmm. Appreciate you sharing that. Um, so the other thing we like to hear from our guests uh, is just who's been influential in their in their life and leadership it's always a great question so we'd love to hear uh, who's influenced you sure my early influences because uh, I don't want to I don't want to disparage any preaching that I had uh, had in my early days but um, Alistair Begg on the radio was one of those people that like he he would never know that I've never talked to Alistair Begg but he was a pretty big influence on me in my early <laughs> days turning on the radio on my way to work um, more recently uh, people like uh, Greg Allison, uh, who's a, a professor at Southern Seminary, has been a big influence on my life. Uh, it's kind of funny. I feel like the older I get, my I'm more influenced by uh, relationships with friends and mm. pastors than nice. I am with uh, necessarily personalities and, and, uh, and other folks. But I always thought if I had Alistair Begg's accent that my <laughs> preaching would just soar up a couple notches <laughs> yeah i'm pretty i'm pretty sure if he was a heretic i would have been in trouble <laughs> because it sounded true yeah that's, that's so true that's, I hear in, so. that's funny oh man it's not a heretic so yes oh. well hey we invited you to the podcast because of your passion for making disciples and specifically your book a community taking your small groups off life support. Uh, I, I suppose we've got some folks out there leaning in right now when they hear the title <laughs> of the uh, book. Uh, that book is 10 years old, and some books are trendy, but this book has really kind of stood the test of time. What led you to write the book in the first place? Yeah, I appreciate you saying so. Like at the time that I wrote the book, um, it really was just me trying to to codify some thoughts that I had, the things that I was learning. I didn't expect it. I'm honestly, I didn't expect it to to sell more than a few copies. Um, I, I really, you know, I was I was working at a church. It was fairly large. I was trying to get stuff on uh, written down to help the ministry that I was in um, because it was it was spreading pretty fast. And um, yeah, then the rest is just it turned into something that people thought was useful. Hmm. 
it's it's more than useful for sure. I recommend (laughs) it to church planners and uh, established church pastors all the time. Uh, it's yeah, really helpful. I appreciate that. And we'll, we'll unpack some of that. So uh, I won't say any more sure, than that yeah. right now, but, uh, but let, let's start with the title, right? A, a community yeah. is a word. Oh my goodness. It gets thrown around in the church a lot. Uh, yeah. But what made you choose that for the title of the book? I think I chose it as the title um, because it, one of the things that we're trying to do is help people, um, you know, our, our members of our church to engage with, uh, the culture around them, people around them. And it's a word that has meaning in the church and it's a word that has meaning out of the church. And so if I'm talking to somebody who has never darkened the door of a church, they'll understand the concept of community. We're gathering for community. They'll understand that. And so to me, um, you know, that's why like, you know, the ministry that I was part of, we call them community groups. You can, you can relate to that as someone who's not in the church. Um, and in some ways, um, I wanted to, you know, as much as one book can, I wanted to import uh, maybe a deeper meeting into a word that, um, you know, had gotten a little bit diluted, right? I think sometimes that happens and, and we give up on it and we say, hey, we don't want to, we want to come up with a, something new or a new word or, or um, uh, something innovative and, you know we're in the business of redemption. I'd rather redeem a word than throw it away. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So in that book, you talk about the idea that community for community's sake is not enough. So why is that the case? And uh, what should the purpose of groups in the church be? Yeah. And some of that came out of, uh, at the time, it was 10 years ago now, but at the time there was this um, uh, almost movement in the church that, um, uh, that, you know, we want people to belong. And it was, and the emphasis was on belonging. And what was de-emphasized was um, what they're belonging to. Um, you know, the, the, the goal is to call people into a community of faith, um, to, to a relationship with Christ. And so community for community's sake, um, you can get that in a lot of places. You know, uh, CrossFit's doing a better job than the churches right now at community for community's sake. Mm. Um, like they, they do a great job. You know, we've been called to be a part of uh, God's redemptive plan, which is uh, community for the sake of, of relationship with Christ. And so, you know, that's what, when I say it's, that's what I mean when I say it's, it's not just for community sake. We can, we can belong to a lot of things, but we have the opportunity to belong, uh, to God, which is infinitely better. Mm. Infinitely better. It sure yeah. is. Amen. I uh, I appreciated your, you know, kind of looking at the double meaning of community. Uh, I planted a church and we called it Community Alliance for that same reason, because it had meaning yep. inside and outside the church. Uh, and and our and our leaders rep- really resonated with that. Um, and I wish, honestly, we could have got as clear as you do. I planted it before you wrote the book, <laughs> but I appreciate <laughs> One of the things I appreciate about your book is, is the, the great lengths you go to to be clear about some very important terms um, and convictions. So talk to us about what you would say are some of the convictions uh, that are the foundation for a strong, small group or a community group. That's a great question. Um, when I think about the foundation for community, um, this is not rocket science. This is not new. We, we have three primary relationships in our life, relationship with God, 
relationship with one another in the church and relationship with the world. And um, when I think about kind of the foundational convictions, you know, um, I think about it in those terms is that like for a strong community that's reflective of the church. And so like, imagine like, yeah, that, that community group is just a, or life group or, you know, whatever you call it is a, it's a reflection of the church uh, into the world and into your life. And it should reflect all three of those relationships. So it should reflect uh, a commitment uh, to the word of God, uh, a commitment to, to worship and prayer. Um, it should reflect a commitment to one another, caring for and loving um, one another in the church. Um, not not simply just a Bible study that we study the word of God, but that we actually apply it to one another's lives and care you know, what's happening in Alan's life, what's happening in Terry's life, that, that, um, that I've committed myself to these people, um, as we, as we walk in life together. And, and I believe a commitment to, um, proclaiming the gospel in the world. It's the great commission, um, uh, to, to share the, the blessing and the truth that we have with those around us and invite people in. And it's a, it's a funny thing. I know that that's somewhat controversial in some small group circles of the idea of inviting non-believers or or people not in the in your church into your small group but but for me it's essential i mean that that's what the church does uh, that's what the church has always do, done is it's grown by inviting people in to hear the truth of uh, of the gospel so um incarnational is another word that's been thrown around a lot in the church what does it mean for a community group to be incarnational and how does a neighborhood approach help a church share the gospel? Yeah, yeah. So um, when we think about uh, incarnation, obviously that's God coming into to the world, um, uh, the Word made flesh. Uh, for us, like we're we're reflecting the truth of that. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if we can technically incarnate, but we can, um, but we can live lives that reflect the truth of an incarnated God, um, and so. You know, for um, for a community group, the idea of um, of being engaged in what's happening in the world around me, right? So, um, whether you're talking about the church or even just life these days and in 2022, you know, we've got uh, we've got lives that are um, that uh, are separated, you know, from you know my work life and my home life. And my, um, what I do for fun, we kind of, we kind of separate those, those things in the world. And so we live in cul-de-sacs with, um, you know, the garage door goes down after you, you pull in and you really don't necessarily engage with your neighbors much. Mm. And what you find is that, um, in these neighborhoods, uh, people are dying for community. Um, because the fact that we're created for community in the, in, as a reflection of the, being image bearers of God, right? So God, I mean, you guys, we all know this, uh, God has existed from eternity past in community. We're created in his image. We're all created in his, in his image um, to live in community. And my neighbor is just as much in need of that community to express that, um, that uh, image bearerness of God as I am. <clears throat> but his life is just as uh, isolated um, as it can be in the church. So if you if you think about that, that it's not just, you know, sometimes we think about we do community for the church because people are isolated. 
but we do community in the church because the world is isolated. And so the idea of being incarnate uh, incarnate is that we go into those places where, where the world is, is isolated and in need, even if they don't know it, Um, they don't know how to articulate it. They feel something missing. uh, And we offer them the opportunity to engage in community and they, they begin to experience God through that community. And so, um, you know, for me, that's when I think about incarnate ministry as a community, that's what I'm talking about. Going into the neighborhood, if the neighborhood is doing a, you know, a chili cook-off, um, that we do it with them. Like, like, you know, um, uh, there's lots of examples where we mean well as a church, um, (laughs) but we don't help ourselves out. Um, and so like, um, I like to, I like to talk about the controversial one. So if you have a harvest party at your church, um, and you have your kids dress up and they get candy, um, it doesn't matter what you call it at Halloween party. Um, <laughs> but there's times when there's times when like the church says, we're going to do this thing for the community. Um, and it, and it draws the whole church community to the church when the neighborhoods that you're living might be doing the exact same thing. And this is one of the aha moments for me. It was this example. I, my neighborhood was having a Halloween party and so was the church. And I was conflicted on where should I go? And, uh, and so um, I chose to take my community group to the neighborhood and say, Hey, we would love to volunteer. Like, it looks like you're doing games for kids. Like, could I bring my community group and we run the games for you? Um, and not only attend it, but actually serve at it to build relationships with the neighborhood center and, um, folks in the community. And to me, like, I have nothing against the church, you know, doing those types of events that draw people in. I think they're absolutely great. Um, I would just do them, uh, strategically. I'd be thinking about, okay, uh, what is the opportunity cost that we lose when we do it here? And if I'm in a place that doesn't, you know, neighborhoods aren't doing those things, then doing our own is great. If I'm in a neighborhood or a city that does a lot of those things, then how do I how do I get my groups to to be active and engaged with what's happening uh, in their neighborhoods as as representatives of Christ? Uh, that is very helpful, and as I mentioned earlier, very clear. Appreciate that a lot. You know, you reference the uh, people going in and out of their house through their garage door, and I've read. And it sounds like you've read too. You know, statistics about. <clears throat> How the automatic garage door has contributed to the demise of community <laughs> physical neighborhoods because people just come in and go out and they never interact with a neighbor. But it made me think that in a lot of ways, we probably have some non-literal garage doors in a lot of activities in our life where we just go to it, do it, and come back. And people don't really feel like they belong in things. And so, you know, even though earlier you mentioned about, you know, community is not just about community for community's sake. Uh, belonging is still an important part of somebody's journey. And sometimes that happens before they believe. So can you unpack that whole idea for us of, of belonging before believing? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, this, this really is a phenomenon that's, I think fairly new, at least in the last 20 years in terms of evangelism, that, um, uh, evangelism, uh, in the past could easily have been the four spiritual laws. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, walk you through uh, why you need Jesus. And if I do that in a compelling way, then someone might be interested in checking out your church. These days, you can have the the same very well thought out argument 
and there's a skepticism uh, in people because they've seen uh, they've seen the church not not live out the uh, the integrity that it ought, or they just live in a world where um, you know right now there really is little faith and truth in the world in general. Yeah, right. There's very little faith in in expertise or um, or absolute truth, and so what you see is that people might like what you're saying, but they want to experience it and see if you, if what you're saying is true, then the community that you have should be amazing. It should be life-giving. Uh, it should be a place that I want to be. Um, it should be transformational, uh, in my life. And so I want to go and see you in your element to see how you treat people. How do you treat people when they're kind to you? How do you treat people when they're not? Um, how do you treat people when they sin against you? Um, do you forgive? Do you, um, do you own your sin with other people? Because this Jesus you're talking to me about would do those things. He would ask you to do those things. So do you do them? Um, or are you as, you know, the church has probably always been uh, accused of being hypocritical. You know, we don't deny that there's hypocrisy in the church, but that's what people are looking for. How hypocritical is it? Right. So, um, practical question, nitty gritty. How can how can developing a good rhythm for groups make them stronger? Yeah, a good rhythm. Um, you know, I talk about rhythms in the book a lot. Um, and the thing that I'm trying to get across there is that is that you have freedom to build community in a way that's life giving. And if you can get a good rhythm within your group that like recognizes the needs and the and the challenges of your particular community uh, it's going to be more life-giving to you and it's going to be more life-giving to your neighbors but in a world where like there's so many distractions you could give your time to a thousand things if you don't have a rhythm this could be in the way <laughs> it could be applied to the way you eat the way you exercise like life in general if you don't uh if you're not establishing a rhythm mm. uh to keep you on track it's really easy to get distracted. And so I think community is the same way is that, um, if you build a good rhythm, uh, that, uh, that's reflective. And what I mean by that is that sometimes we have these, these ruts in the way that we understand small groups, uh, in our life and say, this is what a small group is, but we might hate it. <laughs> we might just flat out not enjoy that yeah. rhythm. Yeah. And it might be bumping up against our kids sleeping schedule, or it might be really hard to get, you know, get there from work. And what I found is that some people feel constrained by these, these invisible ruts. <laughs> They're not real, but in our mind where we feel like someone is evaluating us on whether we do it right. And what I try to encourage group leaders is, you know, go back to those foundational things. If you're growing in your walk with Christ, if you're uh, growing as a community of believers, loving one another, and you're engaged with the loss, there's a lot of freedom in, in what rhythms could accomplish that. And so, um, yeah, when you, when you open that up, uh, it's a lot more fun <laughs> for leaders mm -hmm. because, you know, they get to be creative and, you know, yeah. um, that's, that's fun. That is fun. Absolutely. Rhythms is good. Uh, we need that in our lives in a lot of ways. For sure. And I appreciate you tying that together with the other ways that we need rhythm in our life. <laughs> so, you know, I enjoyed the book uh, a lot, actually. Um, it's one of the motivations for having you on the podcast. Um, 
And, uh, you know, if you're just on Amazon and you, you know, do the look inside little look on it and you look at the table of contents, you come across a chapter about uh, repentance. <laughs> and, you know, if you scan <laughs> yeah. the titles, you're like, what is that in the middle of this whole thing? Why is there a chapter on <laughs> repentance in a book on small group ministry? What, what makes that so important? Yeah, I, part of that is it was just my story as a as a pastor of small groups, right? I was the community groups pastor. Uh, I was I was doing what I knew to do and what I had learned to do in terms of leading um, leading my people and my ministry. And what I realized was that there was that there was a moment where there was I realized like we're not really um, engaged in the community that God's called us to. We're not, we're, we're in some ways kind of going through the motions and, um, and sitting on the sidelines and that's not what God called us to. And by, by sitting on the sidelines, what we're saying is uh, we really don't care what happens to our neighbor. Um, if we had other mechanisms within the church that were, that were reaching non-believers and we were saying, Hey, as long as those are going and the numbers are positive in terms of, you know, outreach and, and baptisms, then I don't have a part to play. But that means that my neighbors are not the ones that are encountering Christ. And so for me, as I was leading that church, I felt we can't just say we're going to we're going to start kind of a new philosophy of community if we don't at least recognize that we know better that, that we could have been doing this all you know, the whole time. Mm. And so, um, you know, I, I think churches have a hard time acknowledging when they've missed it, even if they're mm. successful. Right. Yeah. Wow. And so um, what I found is that the only way to get uh, to really capture the hearts of my leaders and say, um, what does it look like to truly build community that uh, that is engaged with uh, the mission of God, we have to walk through repentance together. Um, acknowledge that that um, that we have all these resources that we're not uh, not using, um, and then uh, we can build on a clean foundation. Um, and so that's what we did. And I think uh, uh, as I've consulted with churches around the country. Um, I, I don't think that was isolated to my experience. And so mm -hmm. that's why it's in the book. I appreciate that. Terry and I have talked about this a little bit. Um, and I, I think it applies to a, a church as a whole. A lot of times churches start to decline uh, and they want to turn around. But all they want to do is change their actions, but not actually repent of that they didn't really love Jesus and his mission in the first place. And that's how they got to where they are. And then they yeah. want to turn around just so they can keep what they have. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I think that might be the case with small groups. Oh, we used to love our small group. Now we don't. How do we just change our actions? But you're speaking to the heart. If we yeah. don't repent uh, of not loving Jesus and his purposes, then we really aren't going to get our group off life support. It's just going to go through the motions. So that is very, very key. So thank you for unpacking that for us. So last question, uh, Brad, if our listeners need to get their churches, small groups off life support, or even if they want to start a uh, uh, new groups ministry in their church, where should they start? 
Um, yeah, I, I usually, when I'm walking with, uh, with a church, what I do, do is I say like, let's first start a trip. This is what you're asking for, but this is what you're getting to, um, is that, uh, it starts with conviction, uh, at the, at, at the leadership of the church. Yeah. Do we believe that this is what God's calling us to? Because mm. it's a, it's a rough road to hoe, a road to hoe. Is that how the saying goes? Uh, to be a small group, to be a small group pastor with deep conviction whose lead pastor could care less. Um, like that's really hard. Preach. And so for me, um, it's starting there. What is the, um, what is the vision that we want to see? Um, and, uh, like this is advice I would give to any church. Don't promise your people a new life changing community group experience until you've got conviction at the leadership level and you've developed some, uh, some form of coaches or or leadership that's going to help you get there. Because often what happens is we get so excited, we read a book, whether it's my book or some other book, and you come home and say, we're going to do this and it's going to be amazing. But you haven't th- built the infrastructure to make it happen. And then people are, are just left disappointed. And so uh, I don't know if it's appropriate to use poker analogies here, but you've only <laughs> got so many chips to play with your people before they're going to, you know, before they're going to... This- you know, just kind of roll their eyes when something new comes up. 100%. So play your chips carefully. Yeah. Play your chips carefully. And so for me, it's develop a vision, bring some David's mighty men uh, along uh, to say who are the who are the people, who are the leaders, uh, the men and women that are going to help me carry this uh, as we implement it through the church, and then roll it out. That's a, a slower path, but the uh, the results will be way better. Excellent. Very helpful Yeah, that's advice. really good stuff. Thank you so much. So we thank you, Brad, for taking the time to uh, chat with us today. Been uh, very helpful, practical. And uh, I think our pastors and leaders out there who are listening are going to get some good nuggets to go away with and apply to their small group ministry. So a uh, big thanks to you. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Our privilege and pleasure. Thanks, Brad. So, Alan, in addition to your other seven jobs that you always outline for us at the beginning of each episode, you're also serving as a piece of an interim pastoral team at the Community Alliance Church in Harrisburg that you uh, were the planter and pastor of for a number of years. So as a pastor, what kind of practical small group nugget did you pick up today? Ooh, boy, that's a great question, Terry. Thank uh, you, Alan. And I am really appreciating uh, the opportunity to be doing some pastoring in my local church uh, recently. Yep. And it, it's helping yep. me to, you know, again, the beauty of ministry opportunities is being able to look at it from yet another perspective. And I would say in part of my role right now on our pastoral transition team, I'm overseeing our discipleship groups. And uh, I'm realizing that one of the things that people wrestle with they are going through the motions with their small groups or community groups or discipleship groups. And they feel like they're supposed to, if they're going to be a good Christian, but it's not something that they would say, this is like the highlight of my week or something like that. And we want to change that in our church. I just met actually with our discipleship group leaders last night. And I think one of the biggest needs is for just an injection of hope that we can really be changed as we participate with each other on mission with Jesus. And I think Brad has uh, laid a good foundation for us to know how to pursue that. And and his book would really be helpful for people to pick up and take it to the next step. So I guess it would not be a good thing for me to write a book entitled 
Good refreshments, the key to small groups. <laughs> no, I highly recommend against that. Though, certainly, mm -hmm. you would have quite a library of drinks to draw upon. I would. Well, there's another opportunity lost. We appreciate <laughs> you joining us today. I hope you uh, occasionally laugh at our jokes and always love the content of the podcast Amen. because yes. God has given us such great guest interviewees and uh, we're very thankful for that. We love doing this and hope you love listening to it half as much as we love doing it. So next time on season seven, episode three, we'll be talking about prayer with uh, Fred Hartley and John Mitchell of the College of Prayer, Lilburn Alliance Church in the Atlanta area. So we hope you'll be back and uh, join us for that. Meanwhile, keep the faith. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Equipping You podcast. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing and rating our channel. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org.